All right, so we are continuing. Uh, if you haven't been with us this summer, we are doing conversations with Jesus. Um, and we're looking at uh, passages throughout the Gospels uh, where Jesus uh, talks to somebody, has a conversation with them. And we're hoping then to learn something from that conversation. Um, and so we are continuing in that um, for the rest of the summer and for this week uh, especially. Now, let me ask you a question before I get started. How many of you, the first thing you do in the morning is check your cell phone? Yeah, you guys, you're, you don't want to put your hand up. You know you do it. How about the last thing you do when you go to sleep? You check your cell phone, anybody? My favorite, I'll put my wife on the spot. She'll say, oh, I'm really tired. I'm going to bed. And I come up a half an hour later, and I see the bright light, you know, in the dark room as she's surfing through, I don't know, yard sale websites or something. Um, but the average American uh, checks their email before they even get out of bed. They check their, make sure, okay, what emails do I have going on for the day? Before, it's the first thing they do when they wake up. In fact, if you're like most Americans, the conservative estimate is that you spend 162 minutes on your cell phone a day. Conservative. They, you know, as you try to look at a stat, right, you get all sorts of ones. That's on the very low end. The high end is over double that um, on what you spend on your cell phone. Playing games, you know, on Facebook, on, on Twitter, emails, anything you want is on your phone, right? We've actually stopped buying things or thrown out things because we don't need them anymore. I don't ever use an alarm clock anymore. I have the most annoying alarm clock on my cell phone. I don't have a watch anymore. I have it on my cell phone. I don't have a camera anymore. I have it on my cell phone. Think of all the things that you can get on your, my flashlights on my cell phone. I have, oh, we want to hang a picture? Let me download a level app and we can hang up the picture, right? I even don't need friends anymore because I have my phone, <laughs> right? And so, see, all you laugh because you know it's true. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, right on your phone, message you every time somebody likes your photo so you can feel good, right? I like it. But our cell phones have become, we've almost obsessed with them. And, and to illustrate the point best, a couple years ago, I went to a wedding, um, and most of the groomsmen had rented a small little house for the wedding. And so the one night we are all in the living room, two guys got the bedroom, and then there was like six of us in the living room, all kind of sprawled out, sleeping on the floor and whatnot. And so, you know, I turn on Sports Center. And there's nothing better to fall asleep to than Sports Center. Uh, it's kind of lulls you to sleep. It's a nice, soothing lullaby of sports stats. <laughs> Nobody else falls asleep on the couch watching Sports Center. Thank you, Eric. <laughs> so we, we turn it on, and um, the one guy is laying there, and he's starting to fidget, and he's fidgeting. And all of a sudden, he's like, I can't go to sleep. You guys need to turn this off. I'm like, oh, okay, like, all right, I, I can go to sleep. I prefer to go to sleep to Sports Center, but I can turn the phone off or turn, this, uh, turn the TV off. And so I turn the TV off, and we're laying there, and it's dark, and then all of a sudden, I see a little light turn on. And I'm like, What's, what is he doing over there? 
Can you hear that? I thought you needed quiet. Well, actually, I need white noise. I'm like, white noise? And it's like still going in on my... I guess it doesn't turn off when you shut your phone off. That's annoying. I can't get out of this. This was a great idea. There we go. It was a great idea in my head. Um, but he plays this white noise all night, and it was loud. And it's just this, like, raindrops and humming and buzzing and an occasional, like, crack of thunder. And he falls asleep, and I'm sitting there, like, what is going on? Like, he just asked us to shut off the TV, and now you have this other noise played. But cell phones, our cell phones have become such part of our lives that we can't even sleep without them. We need them when we go to sleep. He's like, I cannot go to sleep without this. And so you start to look at it and you ask the question, like, is the cell phone, do I own the cell phone or maybe my iPhone owns me? You know, my thought is several years from now, two iPhones are going to be talking to each other and one of the iPhones is going to ask the other one, uh, you know, why were humans created? And the other cell phone's going to answer, well, we needed someone to push our buttons and turn us on. That sounded worse than... <laughs> but we also need someone to run our apps and crush the candy. We need someone to ask questions like, find pizza near me, and what's a good, good sermon topic? Um, and at one point... The cell phone is going to tell the other cell phone, well, one day the great apple in the sky decided that he needed to make stupid beans to ask us questions that had great dexterity in their fingers, and they will be the perfect person for you. But this is what it's come to. It's that cell phones were created for us, or is it that we are created for cell phones? And this is the question as we kind of lead into this conversation that we're going to talk about. What's created for what? What is the purpose of something? Was it for us or was it we were made for it? And so this is the question that Jesus discusses. Before we get going, though, we're going to talk a lot about the Sabbath. Um, and so I thought I would just kind of briefly go over that. The Sabbath, right, if you know what that is, um, is in the law of Moses, right? It's the fourth commandment. And as, you know, God, I always like to think with lightning bolts, you know, etches it on the stone tablets. It says that we should keep the Sabbath holy and that we should rest on the Sabbath. Because six days did the Lord work and on the seventh day he rested. So there was no work to be done on the Sabbath. We have traditionally kind of in, in our time put that as our Sunday. Um, and But the Jews... At that time, when they got that rule that the Sabbath day was made for no work, that to them was one of the most holiest laws they could keep. Okay? That they made rules upon rules to describe to you what you could actually do on the Sabbath. You want to hear some of these? They're fascinating. On the Sabbath, here's some things that you cannot do. I'm going to speak fast so all you note takers keep up. 
sowing, plowing, reaping, binding, threshing, winnowing, selecting, grinding, shifting, kneading, baking, shearing wool, washing wool, beating wool, dyeing wool, spinning, weaving, making two loops, making two threads, separating those threads, untying or tying, sewing, stitching, tearing, trapping, slaughtering or tanning, scrapping hide, marking hide, cutting hide, writing two or more letters, erasing two or more letters, building or demolishing, extinguishing a fire or making a fire, putting the finishing touches on an object, or transporting an object between the private domain and the public domain. This is what you aren't allowed to do on a Sunday. So, anyone that has shoes on that uh, maybe laces in? Anybody? I bought a lot of slip-ons today and sandals. Good job, you kept the Sabbath. You did not tie any shoes. How about, did you drive your car here? Do you know that's f- now forbidden because when you turn your ignition on, that is creating fire. How about turning any lights on? Creating fire. Well, did you carry anything in here? Any ladies with purses? Sorry, once you took it from your private domain to the public domain, you broke the Sabbath. And so the Jewish law... Okay, the Jewish law, this is now outside of the Bible context of keep it holy, that you need to rest, no work. The, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, decided what does that actually mean, okay? And they wrote a ton on it, chapter after chapter, what you could do on the Sabbath and what you couldn't. And the penalty for breaking the Sabbath, for all of you people wearing shoes with laces, is death, Glad we don't keep that anymore. <laughs> okay? So this is the context that Jesus gets into a conversation with the Pharisees, really more of a debate, because they go back and forth on, on trying to understand the Sabbath. Because Jesus is doing stuff that shouldn't be done on the Sabbath. So this is found in three of the four Gospels. Uh, Mark 2, Luke 6, Matthew 12. Um, And so we're going to kind of, as you see, we'll have the verses up there, go through different parts as we go. Because they each say a little bit different, and it gives you the full story when you kind of read them all together. So we're going to start in Luke. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and his disciples began to pick some heads of grain, rub them in their hands, and eat the kernels. Some of the Pharisees asked, what are you doing? Why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Why are you breaking the Sabbath? Instantly, when I read that, I'm thinking, oh, they're stealing. You shouldn't steal on Sunday. I mean, Friday, it's Saturday, it's one thing, but Sunday, right? You don't steal on a Sunday. But actually, in Jewish law, and actually biblical law, Okay, in the Bible, in Deuteronomy, there is a passage that says, if you're hungry, you can go into your neighbor's vineyard and pick grapes and eat them. Just don't put any in a basket or a bag and take them home, but you can eat your fill. I tried this at a restaurant. I went there. I ate. I didn't pay. They got mad at me. I act confused and said I didn't ask for a doggy bag. We're fine. I'm just joking. But, okay, this, was, this is in the Bible. This is in Deuteronomy. You can pick grapes, don't put them in a bag. Basically allowing for the poor, the hungry, the traveler to eat. 
Okay, no McDonald's, right? No Burger Kings to stop at, no rest stops. And so if you're traveling, you could walk by the neighbor's field, right? Pick some grapes and help yourself. The same thing went to grain. You could pick grain and eat it by hand, but you couldn't thresh it, right? You couldn't bundle it up and take it home with you, right? One stop, no doggy bags. You can eat your fill and that's it. And so Jewish law allowed for the disciples and Jesus to walk along and pick grain. The problem is that in picking grain, they are harvesting, and that is against the rules. In smashing the grain and getting uh, the kernels, right, they are actually sifting the grain, right? They are breaking one of these Sabbath rules. And so the Pharisees already at this point don't like Jesus they don't like the things he's talking about. They don't like the way he's healing people. They don't like any of this. And so they start to try to catch him breaking the law. Because the Israelites, the Jews, are people that follow the law. Americans really aren't that kind of people. But the Jews were rule followers. And the Sabbath, above all else, was considered one of the most holy laws to follow. It was the most discussed. It was the most wrote upon. It had the most minute rules. And the Pharisees were the keepers of those rules. And when you disobeyed, they would make sure to find you out. And so they come to Jesus and go, hey, your disciples are picking grain, and it's the Sabbath. You're doing what is unlawful. You're breaking the Sabbath. In any good debate, though, if you've ever been in a debate, maybe taken a debate class, some of the best things to break a debate, to break your opponent, is to ask them questions back on themselves. To put the question that they ask and turn it around and make them answer a question. Right? You don't really answer it, but you try to prove what they're asking you is wrong. Is, is not the right idea. And so this is what Jesus does, as he so typically, as throughout all of Scripture. If you put up the Mark uh, chapter 2, he answers, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Amathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. So he turns and he says, haven't you ever read scripture? Now this would be like you coming to me or John, right? And going, you know, have you ever read the Bible? Your sermon sure didn't sound like it. This is what Jesus is telling the Pharisees. This, that's the type of language he's using. He goes, have you never read the scriptures? And of course they have. They pride themselves on it. We know the scriptures. We've memorized the scriptures. Well, he says, well, don't you remember about David? Now, if you don't know this story, what happens is Saul is the first king of Israel. Okay, And as he's leading the people, uh, he starts to fall away from God. Not kind of severely. Um, and he starts to disobey God. And God starts to bring David up. Right? And we get David killing Goliath, the story that we all know. But then we also get David conquering and winning all of these battles. And the people of Israel, who are under Saul, start to sing about what David's doing. And it's, Saul has killed his thousands, but David his 
tens of thousands. And Saul gets all frustrated with this and upset, and he decides that David's after my throne, I have to kill him. And so if you've read that before, right, he tries to kill him multiple times, and eventually David has to flee for his life. And as he's fleeing from Saul, he stops at the tabernacle because he needs supplies. He needs food. And he goes to the priest and he says, I need some bread. Priest goes, you're out of luck. You know, all I have is this showbread. The showbread um, was considered holy bread. It was sat on a table, um, six loaves, uh, usually stacked high on each side. Um, and it was actually, showbread translates to bread of face. Um, and it basically means that you would eat this bread, the priest would eat this holy bread in the presence of God. In the very, sometimes they call it the bread of presence. And so eating this bread was sacred, and only the priest could do it, and only at a certain time. And then once he ate it, new bread would come in, Okay, and that would be the new showbread. And nobody else could eat it except for the priest. And so David comes in, there's no bread to be found except for this, and he says, give me the showbread. Uh, and the priest is, I don't know if I can give you this. He says, I'm, I'm in need, I'm hungry. I need the showbread. And so the priest decides to give David the bread. Now fast forward to Jesus' time, David is a national hero, is one that they write about that is a man after God's own heart. And they look at that instance that, that what would have been unholy for him to eat as being okay because the Jewish custom or the Jewish law was not above human need. And David needed the bread. And so Jesus starts to point flaws in their argument, going, you say that I shouldn't be doing this on the Sabbath, but you make other laws, and then when people break them, it's okay. Starting to show some contradiction. So he goes on to say this, and he, and he asks them another question. The Matthew 12. Or haven't you read in the law? Once again, haven't you read the Bible? Have you never read the Bible? Or haven't you read in the law that the priests on Sabbath duty in the temple desecrate the Sabbath and yet are innocent? Well, what does this mean? For most of you guys, when you come to church, you get to partake in what's going on. Um, you don't consider going to church work. Maybe some of you do. Um, but there are a lot of people that make this happen, right? Not just the guy up front speaking at you, but the people playing the instruments, on the slides, on the sound, upstairs teaching your children, right? Multiple people have to work to make this gathering happen. Well, it was no different in their time. To make the tab tabernacle happen on a, on a Sabbath, okay, on a, on a holy day, on the Sabbath, the priest had to do certain things. And some of those included sacrifice, which meant you had to cut up the hide of an animal, right? Forbidden. You had to start a fire. Forbidden. You had to put out the fire eventually. Forbidden. 
But because they were doing the work in the temple for God, it was considered okay. As I was writing this and thinking about this, I was like, boy, how different would my day be on a Sunday if I had to do some of those things? I would come home and Melissa would say, oh, how was your work? You know, how, was, how did Sunday go for you? And I'd say, well, I got a little blood on my pants, you know. I had to butcher a couple of goats uh, and they were, they were bleeders. <laughs> that would be my Sunday. Luckily, that's not my Sunday. You know, I wake up and I wake up pretty early to prepare and, and pray and get ready for, for this day. But the Jews considered what the priest did to be okay, even though they worked on the Sabbath. So once again, Jesus goes, you say this about the law, but yet over here it's okay, right? So he's done this twice to them now. Um, and, and they start to get upset with him. They start to um, uh, get frustrated with him. And then he drops kind of the best line. Uh, would you put in Matthew 12, 6 through 8? I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would have not condemned the innocent, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. I tell you, that could really mean, I tell you that I am greater than the temple. I am greater than the temple. Jesus, Jesus starts to describe his disciples as really priests working for the temple because I am greater than the temple. I am God. And so what they're doing is fine even under your laws because you allow it. You allow work for God to be done on the Sabbath. And that's what my disciples are doing. They're doing work for God. Me. I'm better than the temple. I'm better than the tabernacle. I am better than what you have. I am Lord over the Sabbath because I designed the Sabbath. I created the Sabbath. And you're getting it wrong. See, the Jews, with being rule followers, not only wanted to keep the rules, it said that they wanted to put hedges around those rules so that they wouldn't even come close to breaking them. Here's the best example. I don't know about you guys, but as I've gotten a little bit older and into my 30s, uh, a little bit of extra weight has also joined me, uh, especially in my midsection. And so with a little bit of research, well, not really much research, I realized eating ice cream and chips right before bed was not very good. And so I decided, I said, okay, I'm going to stop eating this. I'm going to stop eating before bed. Looked up, okay, maybe two or three hours before bed, I shouldn't, I should stop eating. So I said, eight o'clock, eight o'clock, no more food, done with food. But every time I go into the kitchen, I get really tempted. So actually the new rule is I'm not allowed into the kitchen after eight o'clock. So now I'm in the living room watching TV, and at 8 o'clock, the commercials on TV are all about food, right? They are. Pizza Hut, Pizza Hut, some more Pizza Hut. So I'm like, okay, new rule. 
I don't want to eat after 8, so I can't go into the kitchen because I'll think about food. Well, if I watch TV, I'm going to think about food too. So no TV after 8 o'clock. Well, now I'm bored. And when I'm bored, I eat. Okay, I have the plan. I'm going to go to bed at 8 o'clock. I eat ice cream at 7.59, and I go to bed at 8 o'clock. Following the rules. Right? I'm not... I'm missing the whole point, right? I'm missing the spirit of what's happening. I'm missing the point of the law. I'm missing the point of the rule. I'm putting in all of these ways to make sure that I don't break the no eating after 8 o'clock, but I'm not actually achieving the whole reason that that was given. This is what is happening with the Pharisees and the Jewish leaders and a lot of the Jews the Sabbath was given for a day of rest, and it was set aside as holy. Yet they took it and they started making so many laws dealing with that, that nothing could be done, and the holiness was taken out and replaced with a giant burden that none of us can keep. Right? This is at one point Jesus tells the Pharisees, right? He says, you tie men down with heavy burdens, but you don't lift a finger to help them. We're putting on all these rules on because this day is holy, and actually we're destroying the purpose of it. This was supposed, supposed to be a day of rest and joy and peace and being able to refresh but now I am terrified that I am going to break one of your rules, that I'm going to tie my shoes. I'm going to be cold and need to start a fire. Jesus then says this in Mark 2, 27. He said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Right? The iPhone was made for you, not you for the iPhone. And this is what they're screwing up. This is what they're misunderstanding. This is what in they're twisting to make it holy. They're missing the point. The Sabbath was made for you. The Sabbath was given to you. The Sabbath is a blessing. And yet you've changed it and you've made it that you were made to follow the rules on the Sabbath. Obviously, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, they don't like this, right? This is not popular teaching. And you can imagine that there are crowds around Jesus listening to him. Well, it was Sunday. What else are you going to do? You can't really do anything else, right? So we're going to listen to what Jesus has to say. And the Pharisees are getting worked up. And so it's unclear on whether this happens at the same day or maybe a following Sunday. But the story continues and Jesus kind of puts his foot down. And so if you'd put that first part up. Going on from that place, talking about Jesus, he went into their synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus, they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? He said to them, If any of you has a sheep 
and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? Pause there, Nancy. Don't go any farther. Do you know Pharisees were making laws at that time that if your house was burning to the ground, you could not put it out on Sunday? If your clothes were catching on fire, you should take them off instead of put the fire out. And actually, here's the best part. You weren't even allowed to ask a Gentile to put out your fire in your house. But if he offered all by himself, then you could let him. They were making it so that if you had a chicken, this is craziness, and that it was a chicken to lay eggs, right? An egg-laying chicken, and it lays an egg, you could not eat it. But if that was a chicken raising, raised to be eaten, okay, and it laid an egg, then you could because it wasn't an egg-laying chicken and it was a part of the chicken that just fell off. And then you were allowed to eat it. Right? We laugh and we think this is so absurd, but this is what is going on in here. This is the level that the Pharisees, okay, the leaders and the Jews have followed that they have went to on a Sabbath. You couldn't carry anything with your left or your right hand or on your chest or on your shoulder, but you could lift something and carry it with your foot or you could put it in your head or you could carry it with your hands the other way, on the top of your hands. You weren't allowed to tie a rope. So if you needed water in a well, tough luck. Well, actually, there's an exception. A woman was allowed to tie a girdle around her waist. So if you got all the women from the town, you could tie the girdles to a bucket, drop it in the water to get you something to drink. This is the level it's going to. This is the level they're at. And Jesus goes, you're missing the point. He said, look at this. If one of you loses a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, you're going to go get it. You're going to pull it out. You're going to save the life. You're going to save its life. And he goes on, if you put the next part up. Then Jesus said to them, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath? to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it. He looked around at them and then said to the man, stretch out your hand. He did so. And his hand was completely restored. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were furious and began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. Jesus walks into this synagogue and there is somebody, and, and we're not quite sure, it says that his hand is shriveled. So that could mean several things, whether it was diseased or had been scarred and, and mutilated in an accident, or just from birth, it had been always deformed. But whatever the case, the hand, the arm was messed up. It didn't work. And so the Pharisees know that Jesus has been healing on, sun, on the Sabbath, and we're going to catch him. And so they ask, is it okay to heal? What's better, life or death? Will you let your sheep die because it's a Sunday and not pull them out because it's too much work? And it's Sunday and I can't do that? He says, stretch out your hand. And the man does it. 
and the bone, the flesh, the nerves, they reform. The hand is healed. And the Pharisees are furious because he broke a huge rule. He created. Above all else, that was what was looked down on. See, God created for six days, and on the seventh day, he rested. And so most of the laws always dealt with creation. You couldn't create anything. You couldn't make anything. And so when Jesus said, stretch out your hand, and he stretched out his hand, and he created new bone, he created new skin, he created new nerves, the Pharisees looked at that as breaking the law. Can you imagine you go to the doctors. I need stitches. Sorry, it's Sunday. You'll have to bleed out. I mean, that's what the Pharisees wanted Jesus to do, to let it be. And when he wouldn't let it be, they finally decided we have to do something about him. So now you're listening to this and you're thinking, okay, you know, these, these Pharisees took all these rules way out of whack. It's just ridiculous. You know, we don't do anything like that today. Uh, we, do, we, we don't have all these crazy rules. Um, but I would argue we do the exact same thing all of the time. We elevate things in the Bible. We elevate pieces, minute pieces of the Bible to a place of great holiness and not that they're not holy. I'm not saying that. But we elevate one thing above all else and forget everything else. Have you done this? I've done this. I take one thing and I, fo- and I go, oh man, God wants me to be holy in, in this and I need to be focused and, and then all of a sudden I'm forgetting all of the rest that should be done. Jesus says one time to the Pharisees, he goes, yeah, you're great at giving tithes and you, and you tithe your spices and your mint and your dill and all of these things, you're doing great. But you're forgetting mercy and you're forgetting justice. The best example I have of this, and I have a couple to give you, is on several occasions, I have been called up, hopefully none of you are here today, by a parent asking me to kick a certain student out of youth group, to ban them from coming because they are being a bad influence on my child. And I'm not making this up. This has happened multiple times. They say things like this. You know, I thought youth group was a safe place for my child. And, um, you know, in 1 Corinthians 15.33, it says, Don't be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Then I say, maybe your child should leave. No. And they take one little verse, they take one section, that verse is very true. For you parents, I harp on your students, your kids about that all the time. And I say, hey, if you are going to go down this path with these students, this is where it leads. This is going to mess you up. Don't go there. 
But I never elevate it to a place of saying, you're too messed up for this place, get out. You're being a bad influence on our righteous kids, and you are unrighteous, so you must leave. That's a real conversation that I've had multiple times. So, just for you parents, if you ever want to get somebody kicked out, don't call me. <laughs> call John. Maybe he'll tell me to kick someone. That's not going to happen. I'm missing the point of, of the rest of the Bible. Like, what about go and take this message to the end of the world, right? To, to all people, to all tribes, to all tongues. Do misbehaving teenagers count? Absolutely. But we take that verse and we elevate it up here and we say, oh, I'm just trying to be holy. I'm just trying to raise my kids right. It's what I'm commanded to do. Absolutely. Don't forget the rest. We are well known for doing that at church, right? On a Sunday morning. Well, I don't think we can play the drums on Sunday because the drums aren't holy. Piano? The piano's holy. The drums? Nope. They're not holy. We can't play that type of music. Do you know how many churches have split over the type of music being played? I don't know. I think it's a lot. <laughs> My own church back at home pretty much split over the music. They wanted it traditional and thought that that was the way to go. And the other people wanted, you know, a little more contemporary. And so we need to split. This happens in the clothes that we wear on a Sunday. Do you know a study showed that the number one concern of somebody coming to a new church, the question they ask is, what do I wear? Like, that should be shameful on us. That the number one question they're worried about is what I'm going to wear? That that's what they're worried about, that they're going to offend us or, or we are going to be look at them and judge them because... Well, we tuck our shirts in at Mendham Hills, and you have an untucked shirt. That's ridiculous. But we start to elevate the idea that, oh, well, when we come before God, this is a holy place. It is. And as my mom said, don't you want to look your best for God? <laughs> I don't think God would like that. <laughs> Go change. <laughs> and I get that. And I get, you know, going, be, coming to church and saying, hey, I want to put on my Sunday's best, right? On Easter, putting a tie on or maybe a jacket, right? Putting on a nice dress. I get that. But we start to take that and we elevate it to this place that it should never be. It was part, it's part of a whole. And in fact, you know, what you wear, as long as you're wearing something, you know, I think is our, is our policy. Uh, just if you're new here, you, you don't have to tuck your shirt in. I look more grown up when I do. Um, but you don't have to do that, right? Here's another one. And you guys aren't going to like this at all. Here's what I've been quote quoted. 1 Timothy 5.8. Anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially for their own household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So when I ask you, hey, do you want to give to the poor? We need money. 
sorry, I'm providing for my family. When I ask you, can you serve at the church? Sorry, I'm working. I must provide for my family. I don't have time, Steve. I'm working. Now, I'm, don't hear judgment from me in that you've missed a Sunday because you've had to work. I've worked every Sunday for the last 10 years. Okay? I'm not saying that. But I'm saying we start to take this idea that I need to provide for my family. It's scriptural. It's in there. It's very important. And we elevate it to such a level as it should never be. Sorry, Steve. My family needs vacation. Right? That's part of, you know, providing for them. It's scriptural. They need vacation. You know, we'll go to Aruba, Jamaica, you know where this is going? Bermuda, Bahama, Key Largo. I was listening to that song and I just kind of want to take you to, yeah, wherever. Kokomo. None of you guys take that many vacations. Well, most of you don't. There's a, some of you that do. Vacations are great. You should actually, it's in the Bible to get away, to, you know, to have time to rest. An extended Sabbath, so to speak. But when we elevate it to a certain level that we forget everything else, there's a problem. There's an issue. And so I don't know what it is for you, but you could probably think of something that jumps your head that, hey, I have elevated this way beyond where it should be. I'm not saying that there is not times that we should not be in awe of God that look at times as holy moments, right? Tim and Renska up here dedicating their child, holy moment. But just because it's holy doesn't mean you have to forget everything else. Band, if you guys want to come up, um, I'll conclude with this. Um, I don't want you to like skip church next week and go when John comes back. Well, Steve was talking about how we've elevated things and I think I've elevated uh, attending church too much. <laughs> and so I'm going to, you know, I might be here every other month. Uh, and that way it's not too high. I I'm not saying that, okay? Um, I'm saying that, and this was uh, a quote by someone, said, don't sacrifice the good on the illusion of holiness. And sometimes I've done this. I've thought that, well, you know, I need, um, I need to spend time with God. And I'll forget everything else. I need to spend time with God, but I also need to do other things. Right? I also need to take care of my family. I also need to serve. I need to work hard. Right? And take care of my family. It's scriptural. But I can't elevate it to this level of holiness and then miss the good I ought to be doing. We can't make this such a holy place that we, we miss everyone else. I can't go there, right? I don't have the right clothes. I don't have the right, the, the, the right etiquette. I, 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 don't, I don't speak the way they speak. And that's what they expect. This is what the Pharisees did. They put rules after rules after rules. That's something that was so good and created something that was a burden. Don't sacrifice 
the good you ought to be doing on the illusion of holiness. God is mighty and is holy. We're going to sing about it here in a second. You should give everything to him. Don't hear that, that I'm not saying that we shouldn't be doing that. I'm saying don't pick and choose. Look at scripture as a whole. Right? Don't just say, oh, all I need to do is live by this one verse. Maybe you could. You could say love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind and love others as yourself. And that pretty much covers everything. But that then doesn't elevate one thing above the other. Don't miss the good that you could be doing on what you think the illusion of holiness. So, if you'd stand, uh, we're going to sing. You know, I pray that as we sing this, that you would be, you know, it says that it's not my job to convict you of things, which is awesome. It's the Holy Spirit's job working in you that is going to show you whether or not maybe this is an issue in your life. And maybe it's not for some of you. But I know for me, it can be. And I want to make sure that I look at it, that I don't miss mercy and justice, that I don't miss the good that I should be doing. So would you sing with us?